Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, great to see you all here. I was just going to uh, be doing some introductions and getting things going um, over the course of the next couple of minutes. Really fantastic um, to have the second leg of the If I Knew Then What I Know Now relay. So having had um, Catherine Granger do such a great job last week of uh, setting things off for us and doing a handover to Claire Bolding, we've got the opportunity now today to see Claire Bolding and get into the same conversation that we had uh, with Catherine last week about if I knew then what I know now. And um, Claire, we will be coming to you in a moment. Um, but yeah, for those of you who know uh, anything about sport and broadcasting in this country, you'll know that Claire has been an absolute, absolute stalwart of the broadcasting world over the last, oh, let me think, I think 1994 would have been the start of Claire's career and uh, working in uh, and across so many different broadcasting mediums, sport, from sport to crafts, uh, author, best-selling author as well. The radio broadcast Ramblings, I think, has been going since 1999. Um, and just an absolute pleasure to have someone else from the world of sport, but from a very different lens that Catherine's passed the lens over to. Um, I've just got a little bit of gremlins, which I'm going to deal with. Um, so I'm just going to quickly flick onto a different screen and make sure that we're going to get rid of the sound that is now uh, interrupting. But uh, the gremlins are now gone. Claire, welcome. Thank you so much. How's, uh, how's this week been for you? What's going on for you in the middle of lockdown at the moment? Do I need to? Oh, there we go. Yeah, there um, go. Luckily, I've got two big writing projects that I am working on. So there's quite a lot of mental stimulation and also a fair bit of structure to the day because I have to sit at the desk and write uh, at least something every day. Um, but also, I've been taking my fitness quite seriously. Okay. So I, I'm doing various Pilates sessions. I was doing couch to 5K and then the ligaments in my right ankle gave out. So rather disappointingly, I've put that on hold I want to mm -hmm. try and go back to it but put it on hold and doing more Pilates and now the golf course has opened right. um, at least my treat if I've written enough my treat is to play golf once or twice a week so yeah that's good I, I managed to do one of Joe work uh, Joe Wicks's uh, PE lessons with my six-year-old and, and sort of strange something so fortunately that baton has been handed over to my wife so I kind of you yeah. know the desire to try some new things in this time sort of uh, I think interesting I mean Joe Wicks what a, what a superstar he is but I think a lot of people I mean obviously they are hit routines and yeah. they're quite active and they and if there's no warm-up involved you're going to do yourself a bit of damage and I found in the first week he actually started to he realized it because lots of mid, lots of middle-aged men were trying it and middle-aged women and suffering and so he then put a bit of warm-up into it but yeah they are fun, and I do do that just to mix things up every now and again. Yeah, great. And you said a couple of writing projects at the moment as well, to keep keeping you busy? Yeah, one for children, actually, which is um, sort of, it, it's an interesting theme because it's what quite a lot of what we would learn from sports. So every chapter is a different quality that you're trying to perfect. And a bit like you looking back on life once you know what you know and you've made the mistakes you've yeah. made, where how could you have applied yourself better if you had learned patience for example right. or courage or um, teamwork or kindness those kind of themes and examples in my life where I know I've got it wrong but also examples where I think I think one thing my dad in a way taught me who was sort of crazy brave I mean I mean almost not really brave because he never felt fear so he just did things right yeah. he said to my brother and I when we were very young that we had to fall off a hundred times before we'd be 
proper jockeys. Mm-hmm. So we fell off every day because we wanted to be proper jockeys, you know, and we were always falling off. And, and it's that, so it's called fall off, get on, keep going, you know. And um, it, it, once, you, once you get into your head that you can fall and survive, you actually don't, you're not frightened of it. So in a weird way, you're less likely to fall. And I think it's the same with, with perceived failure. Mm-hmm. Once you accept you're going to make mistakes, and once you go, all right, I can recover from that. And I can, you know, with live television, I'm going to make a mistake. Of course I am. And as long as I go, hands up, I've made a mistake. I'm so sorry. I just said that stupid thing there. Actually, I noticed Graham Norton did it the other night right, on okay. the Eurovision yeah. program. And he led into somebody and he said, oh, this guy works as a Robbie Williams impersonator. And he, and he said, I think it's this guy. And it clearly wasn't that guy. But he left it and then waited until it was the guy who, and then said it again. He said, well, oh, not that other person that I said. You know, and I thought, oh, good on you, Graham, because that's exactly how to do it well. Yeah. And to do it with a bit of charm and a bit of class. And you don't take it too seriously, but you just go, oh, I just made a mistake there, but never mind. This is the yeah. one I have. Yeah, and it's been interesting, a lot of the psychology work that I've done as well. When you start talking to people about the actual control you can take by choosing to fail deliberately. You know, the thing that you're fearing happening, you could do deliberately if you wanted to, if I incentivized you enough. How does that change the thought process if we start saying, look, you know, you can actually deliberately do this and but you actually want to do this, so how can we change some of the choices? Yeah, it's interesting. In, in television, we don't have the benefit of coaches and, we, and there's very little feedback. So right. even when you're starting, if you ask for feedback, I, I don't know whether it's because people are frightened of saying something that then could be held against them, you right. know, um, or whether it's that nobody really knows it's this mysterious magic formula that makes things work. But it's not actually. There are really, I think there are very strong basics that if you've got them in position, if the gallery talk back, for example, is disciplined, if people are being supportive, if your research is, is good and accurate and can trust it, if you're given time to uh, you know to think of what's coming next all, all of those things are pretty basic are going to help you do a, a better job and if in yourself you're constantly striving to get better and i do think that's pretty key i think it's quite easy sometimes to sit back a little bit and go well i've got auto cue well we don't have auto cue in live sport but in some i've got auto cue it's all right yeah well, it's, that's not you've got to think it you've got to feel yeah it. different different skill sets i guess aren't they you know one where you know with a live broadcast versus an auto cue they're different skills get great at either of them but you know still have the ability underneath to you know if the auto cue fails you know you've got some somewhere else to go because of the skill that you've got i i, I guess you know for me it is like the athletes where they've got different situations different versions of, of the game but they have to be ready to play them all um Yes. Yes. And then in a way, not giving yourself, I remember when I moved from radio into television, radio, radio is, I love radio and it's very, um, I find it very natural and you can free range and you can be quite loose with it in television, particularly in the old days when there was a three second roll on a tape, you had to cue that tape with the words that you had told them you were going to say. Yeah. There wasn't, there, there wasn't the scope to just suddenly go off on a tangent. The, the timings are tighter. It's all, there's quite a lot going on in your ear because mm-hmm. you're hearing camera directions as well. Um, so it is a more difficult skill. And then there is the, the added um, element of a, of a watching public. So it's, what you look like is important in terms of looking neat and tidy and, and how you are with your body and how you, your chemistry really, I guess, with both the, 
the audience and with whoever you're presenting with or interviewing. Yeah. And all those elements do come into it. So it is a bit more of a complicated beast. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love these kind of conversations. There's a few, th there's a couple of things we've done called Performance Fest Lounge Live, where I've interviewed a bomb disposal army major, an actor, a couple of members of London Grammar, uh, emergency medicine surgeon, defence lawyers and the geekery of their art. And, and again, talk, you know, we're getting beneath the surface of how invested people are to become absolutely, you know, just amazingly informed and focused and constantly developing in their art. And I'm picking that stuff. You know, there's so much more to everything that meets the eye. And, and just hearing all of the additional stuff, you start understanding the complexity of delivering a really sort of amazing in front of camera performance as well as you know whatever the, the radio version is of that as well and you know fascinating just hearing that as well and you said you love radio does that remain your favorite medium or is yeah i mean i don't do a lot of it anymore i do ramblings and yeah. have done for 20 20 years um and we're just at the moment actually because we can't i can't go out and walk with with strangers yet it, mm -hmm. it might be possible before the end of this run actually um but we're putting together various highlights programs and so i'm listening back to programs i recorded you know 10 or 15 years ago okay. yeah and it's and it's really lovely actually because i i can visualize where i was and, and who and, and listening again to those people they really share things with you when you're walking with them. It's a very satisfying way of interviewing somebody because A, you've got a brilliant experience. You're looking at this fabulous view. You're in a part of the country that quite often I haven't been to and they know more about it than you do. So you're learning, yeah. but also people will tell you things. You know, after two hours walking, people will tell you things that they've never told anybody. Yeah. And I find that an immense privilege. I really enjoy that. And because I think radio is so intimate, the way people listen to it is very, it's very personal to them. Mm. They're quite often listening in their car or they're listening on headphones or they're listening in the kitchen. They might stop what they're doing if something gets very um, intense or emotional. Yeah. Um, and I think also I, I work with a really lovely producer as well and she's very, very good at not, it almost the person I'm walking with forgets that she's there. So there's a microphone in between us on a, on a long boom mm -hmm. and Karen, my producer is, is walking just behind and always says to them, don't turn around to look at me. Just, just look forward or look at Claire. Mm -hmm. And I, they forget, I think they forget they're being recorded or yeah. are prepared to share in a way that they know might help somebody else. Yeah. I, well, actually, I did a really interesting one recently with a, with a therapist, with a counsellor who does all of her consultations outside walking. Right, okay, yeah. And that, and that for some people I think is, is very, very beneficial. Yeah, well, I, I guess there's all the mindfulness that comes with that, as well as the outdoor space and a lot of the kind of, you know, the, the, the freedom of space rather than the sort of, you know, yeah. the formality of an office and the kind of, you know, I, I, I guess there's lots of perceptions we have of how that relationship goes if we're in an office and being counselled rather than out for a walk in the open air with people. So it's, it's interesting knowing you're reflecting on that, because obviously this is, this is all about if I knew then what I know now. Um, and the fact you've been reflecting, sort of look, listening back to the ramblings, I'm, I'm interested in terms of, you know, when we started talking and we said, right, we're going to talk about if you knew then what you know now. What, what period did you go to? What, what do you, where do you want to take this conversation around, you know, uh, for you and, and making it relevant? Yeah, I would probably go back to, well, to, in many ways, 2012 was the complete sort of gear change in my career. Right. But actually, it's what I'd learned before 2012 that put me in a position there where I think um, I could present in a much more authentic way. And, and, and in a sense, wasn't trying to 
wasn't trying to prove too much that I what I knew and and I think there's a I think particularly with female broadcasters because um we get criticized a lot more when we make mistakes <laughs> I think there's a tendency early on and I think this might be true across a lot of careers there's a tendency to um try to show all your work yeah. look at all the homework I've done look at how much I know I need to prove to you that I know all of this stuff so instead of in an interview listening to the answer and actually taking it off on a different track if you need to and not necessarily using all your homework in all one go in all the one go you can be much more um confident about it and it's a different kind of confidence it's not a confidence that comes on camera and goes hey here i am i can do yeah, this yeah. it's a quieter confidence that says i know that i know my subject i don't need to prove to you that i know it but during the course of the next five hours over this program you'll see that i do hmm. And I guess the difference in a way as well was knowing to ask questions to which I didn't necessarily know the answer. That I was genuinely asking, and certainly when I did the swimming, I had done quite a lot of swimming presentation yeah. um, up to that point. And probably I did know more and I knew more of the, the British swimmers knew me and I knew them. But it was, I still, there was a lot to learn and I was fascinated by it. So I would ask Mark Foster about the technicalities, like you wanting to know yeah. the inner workings. How does this happen? How, when you're doing butterfly, do you know, what is the difference between Michael Phelps's stroke and Chad LeClose's stroke? Yeah. Yeah. And why is Chad capable of beating him when nobody expected him to? But then also opening yourself up to the emotional side of it. So understanding that the most important thing to do in the wake of that race was give Chad the credit for winning, not mm -hmm. just talk about why Michael, Michael Phelps hadn't done what we all expected him to do. Yeah. And then talk more about Chad by getting his dad on, which was <laughs> a bit of a stroke of luck, but also knowing what, what would work on, or what we hoped, what I hoped would work on, on live TV. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's fascinating, you know, and, and, and you know, I remember those broadcasts as well, because actually, uh, there was great rapport between sort of you and Mark in there as well, and Becky Adlington was in in there as well. No, Becky was still swimming, actually. Still Becky swimming. Was okay. swimming. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but but the sort of rapport that you kind of had, sort of, you know, there was the swimming bubble that was being created, and it was kind of, you know, giving everyone a sort of a window into what was going on in a in a, in a way that felt different to some of the other venues, I think. Yeah. Um, and actually, in, in Rio in 2016, I I did the cycling at the Velodrome with Chris Hoy. And again, I was, he's so, both he and Mark, and most co-hosts co and, and the expert analysts that I've worked with, they love being asked questions about their sport. They actually love to explain it to you. And they know that I'm doing it from a point of genuine interest. So I said to Chris at one point, look, this might be a stupid question. And it was just before the, um, it was before the Kieran, I think it was before the Kieran, which is, you know, when the journey spins off and then they all kind of it's tactical yeah. racing but it's essentially sprinting and I asked why they didn't have wing mirrors you, you know because they're constantly looking around at yeah. each other and I thought that could be a quite a strain on the neck and be quite dangerous mm -hmm. and he said there's no such thing as a stupid question um, and explained to me why because of wind resistance and all sorts but yeah. they actually had looked into whether they could put any sort of reflective equipment, you know, would it be useful to put some kind of reflective strip on the handlebar oh, bar somewhere? Yeah. Could yeah. you do it? 
Um, so it was really interesting that you suddenly, you ask what you think is a bit of a dark question and actually get a really long involved answer that of course they've looked at that and this is why it wouldn't work. And yeah, it was yeah. great, really fun. And, and you, you said at the beginning of the, sort of going back to 2012, you know, that sense of previously having to prove yourself. And, and, and I'm always interested in that concept because actually as a driver for people, proving yourself you know, for a lot of people, the need to please is a very powerful one if you can harness it in the right way. And so, so did, you, did you get more comfortable with who you needed to prove yourself to or how you needed to prove yourself? Was there a shift, do you think? Yeah, around? yes. I think, um, I think in the beginning it was very straightforward, and I'm sure this is true for a lot of people, you're basically trying to prove to your parents that you right. can do the job that, you that love me yet. Yeah. they certainly told me I couldn't do. So um, there is that. And, and that you're, you know, I had chosen to live, you know, my, par my parents and my brother still lives at home, essentially in the house we grew up in, he trains racehorses, that is the family business. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think when I made the choice to go to London, and I, I don't think they were disapproving of work, you know, working outside of racing, I don't think, <clears throat> or outside of a rural setting. I don't think that was an issue. I just think it was um, a bit of a shock that suddenly I was going to go and do something that seemed to draw so much attention to myself <laughs> now that wasn't the driving force at all I never actually wanted to be well known I've never wanted to be famous I have wanted to be financially independent and that's always been a, a driver um, and I then when I found something I love so much essentially I believe it's storytelling and it's storytelling around sport and it's trying to do that well um, then I wanted to do it not not I wasn't I wasn't arrogant enough to think I want to do this better than anyone else has done it before. I think I just wanted to do it really well. If I'm going to do it, do it where people say that's a professional approach. That's, that's, that somehow that works, that, that, yeah. you know, that makes sense. Um, so it was never, it was never really about, it probably should have been more about, I mean, as you can tell, I haven't had a haircut for a long time. It probably should have yeah, been different. more about what my hair looked like, what I was wearing, how I presented myself. But actually that's, you know, I, that doesn't really interest me other than not being a distraction. I'd quite like to turn up and people not go, what the hell is she wearing? That it's not a distraction, but what really interests me is the process of the program making and being involved from a creative point of view, being respected for my opinions, being allowed to have an open conversation to feedback honestly. Um, if I think, and I work with some producers who are so good at that. They're so collaborative. I work with some who are not. And you have to slightly pretend everything is their idea to make it get done. But, you know, um, it's, it's, it's an interesting process and I like being part of a team and I like making a program that I'm proud of. So whether it's Crufts or, or Crufts is great actually because Crufts demands an awful lot. It's a long, you know, those are long programs. The afternoons are slightly different to the evening. You have to retain a lot of information. It's quite unpredictable because you're working with live animals. There are lots of elements to it. And I, you know, and I'm on, I'm on switched on all the way through. And I love that. Yeah. Um, you know, the Olympics, similarly, it's a lot, it's a stamina test as much as it is uh, a knowledge test. Um, and those are, f you know, that to me is fun. I really, really enjoy it far, far more than I think I ever realized when I, when I set out. But yeah, yeah. I was trying to prove myself to my parents. And then, and then you have a slightly different set of, you, you know, you're trying to prove yourself to your boss that you're mm -hmm. capable of hosting, you know, a show at the Olympics. And then are you capable of hosting the, 
opening ceremony and the prime time shows and then are you capable of doing you, you know you have to and sometimes you're going to get knockbacks and it happens you, you know and it's it, it is about how you roll with the punches a bit yeah and, and was there was there anything that shifted for you around 2012 then in terms of this sort of you know the changing you know the proving of yourself yeah. shifting and sort of you having that greater confidence and authenticity and that just you know I guess you've got a decent body of work behind you at that point as well. But was there anything else that that had shifted? Yeah, I think I think also what had shifted from 2000 to 2004. So I always think in Olympic cycles, yeah, yeah. but from Sydney in 2000 to 2004 in Beijing. Um, no, sorry, in Athens, Athens 2004, Beijing. Exactly, yeah. in Athens and then Beijing. Um, I that I'd met Alice and, and we were in a relationship that was, was certainly not going to be hidden. And I think that was a big, it had been a big fear. I shouldn't have feared it as much, but it's a weird thing. You know, when you're gay, you have to somehow, you're expected to make some public statement to the world, even if you have done to your friends and your, and your, and your parents and what have you, that somehow this is meant to be, um, it just, it just, it sometimes feels there's a lot more attention than it merits. But equally, I think there's a lot of, um, there's been a lot of change since, since then, since the early 2000s. I think, I think it's, I think the landscape has changed a lot and I am relieved at that. I mean, actually take Mark Foster as mm-hmm. a case in point and yeah. Colin Jackson, yeah. neither of whom came out until relatively recently. And that's because of a stigma and a sense of shame and a sense that, this is not acceptable and this will work against me, which actually in my case, the absolute reverse was true. Mm. I think I became a much, um, much nicer person and a much better presenter for being authentic. And Billie Jean King always talks about being my authentic self. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, is, it, it is different. When you suddenly can talk about your partner, you can, you can share your love and your relationship with your friends that makes a massive difference. And when you feel that you can't, your relationship isn't validated in the same way. And that can make you behave in a slightly, you know, defensive way. And I think that's, that, sh- that shift made me um, much more open and maybe more vulnerable um, because I wasn't, I didn't have a suit of armor on anymore. And, and also I think, I understand why people think and and you look at men's football and how there isn't a single out gay footballer and it just doesn't make sense if you if you you know if you believe in in the percentages yeah yeah anyway and it just doesn't really make sense but i understand why people stay in the closet but all i would say to them is by doing that you do increase the sense of shame you you yourself are saying this is something i'm ashamed of this is why i'm not sharing it and and I, I have been so much happier for not thinking that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I can see that. And I'm interested to work because, you know, I think with a lot of, you know, it's Mental Health Awareness Week, we kind of talk a lot about that stuff. There's one of the sort of thinking errors that's often talked about, which is mind reading assuming that you know other people's perspective and what they're going to say and actually using that as the truth to determine your path forward. And I want, did, did you were you mind reading on behalf of other people in that period? And then have you found out sort of very different stuff since? 
Yes, definitely. And I think also you can be part of that mind reading is you can be controlled by what you, th it is the same thing. You can be yeah. controlled by what you think other people think. Yeah. Now yeah. I, and I have referred to that as being, I, I, I wanted to shift from being the object in the sentence of my life to being the subject of the sentence. I, I am going to control this. What do I think? What do I think? Not just of myself, but what do I think of other people? Mm. What, how, how do I relate to other people? And as soon as you can do that, in a way, you're, you've turned the camera out rather than in. Yeah. Rather than go, oh my God, what does everybody think about me? You're going, well, what do I think about them? And, and how can I help, actually? And that makes a big difference. And I think that's, you, you know, I talk to kids quite a lot about this, about, about I understand the generation that we now exist in, and, and it is about taking selfies, although taking yeah. selfies with other people might be a bit more complicated now with social distancing, yeah. so there we go. But rather than put myself in the front of the picture of a landscape, I'd rather look at the landscape and take a photo of the landscape. So it's that, it's just going, all right, not about me, about this. And that's definitely what I did before London 2012, definitely. I just, I said, right, okay, I'm not one of the key presenters here, which was quite a big disappointment mm -hmm. at the time, but I am going to be reporting on swimming, which I love and I enjoy. I'll be doing that morning and evening. There's going to be long days. I can do that. I'll then be off to other events and do open water swimming and boxing. I did, I did Nicola Adams. Um, I'll go to Greenwich I'll do the show jumping which would be great and the dressage fantastic I'm gonna enjoy this and I'm going to make it all about the event and the competitors I'm not this is not about me yeah. and that's how I coped with feeling a bit you know I've been one of the main program presenters in 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 2008 and 2010 actually I've been the lead presenter for the for the winter Olympics yeah and then I suddenly wasn't in 2012. What had I done wrong? And then I thought, okay, no, get over this. This is the only time the Olympics are going to be in your country, in your lifetime. It's about that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as, you, as you're speaking, I'm sort of just, you know, thinking back on a lot of the advice around confidence and performance and consistency. And I've often said to a lot of athletes, you know, that the reality of confidence is if you can answer the question, am I confident to be myself today? Because I know it will be enough you know you've done the groundwork you you know you you know that you're going to back yourself to be confident to be yourself and it, and it feels to me like that was really sort of starting to happen for you being confident to be yourself across all that all those different events in a relatively short space of time but but having some ways of thinking so that you're the consistent factor in an inconsistent environment by the stories that you tell the way in which you engage it really feels like there was a kind of an owning of your art Yes, and I think in understanding, I could do it on the move. So um, right. when I presented the racing for, for many years for the BBC, it, I, I always did it on the move. And when I started presenting Grandstand, traditionally the, the presenter had been anchored. They were the anchor and they stuck on a fixed cable because it was much more secure for talkback. You could hear more clearly and a fixed monitor because, again, the picture wouldn't drop out. And I wanted to keep moving. So it was risky because talkback would break up and the screen would break up, but I figured I can, I'll just cope, we'll do this. So when it came to doing, I remember the, the Winter Olympics of, um, in Vancouver, we didn't have the budget to have a studio in the mountains, which we had done in Turin. 
um, and we'd been up at, I uh, can't remember what the mountain resort was called now, something beginning with S, but it was lovely. And we'd had this lovely log cabin and super expensive, but beautiful looking. And Hazel and I presented from there. And Sue Barker was down in, in, the, in Turin doing ice skating and things uh, in, a different, in a different studio. Anyway, come Vancouver, we haven't got the money. They've got, a, they've got a studio in Vancouver, but in the mountains in Whistler where I am, you're just on your own, get out there, do it. So I'm wandering on the mountain slope, standing, walking, skiers coming flying past me, kid might wander in, a dog might come through shot, you know, anything was happening, presenting the evening programme for, for, for our time zone here. And that was like, you know, it felt like we were doing it with a frying pan and a kettle, you know, <laughs> very Heath Robinson, let's make this work. And I really enjoyed it. And I didn't have a table to put my notes on I didn't have you know we by then we had mobile monitors so it but it would break up all the time and it would be slightly delayed mm -hmm. but it was fun because it was I quite like that edginess I like the risk factor I like knowing it might all fall off air yeah so so was, was the sort of you know this the stuff that you've started learning since 2012 was that has that crystallized sort of you know the confidence for you has that crystallized a lot of you know um, um you, you know, you said being authentic and... and you know. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think what it's given me is a sense... I think before that I was very, very driven. Um, and I am still... I still want to do jobs as, as well as I can. But I think I was driven by the drive, if you know what mm -hmm. I mean. Mm -hmm. And yeah. in a sense that, you know, got to prove it, got to prove it, got to prove it. And then after 2012, I think it was more a case of what do I want to do? I went through a little period of quite stress... I was, I was doing a lot of things, but I didn't want to give up the things that, that I had done. So I felt this huge sense of responsibility and I felt quite anxious. Um, and then when I started making choices about, no, I won't do that, actually. I only want to do this. Um, and when a few things happened that, that I was, doing, you know, I could like Sunday mornings. I used to do Sunday mornings on, on Radio 2, which I really enjoyed. But they put the start time back to six o'clock in the morning and I just thought I can't I know I can't do that I know that means getting up at three thirty, four o'clock on a Sunday morning that's going to ruin my weekend every weekend whereas I could cope with a 7 a.m start that was that was okay I mean getting in for 6 30 but not getting in for 5 30 it just made it and I didn't want to do it so I just said no and and having that's a different kind of confidence that's mm -hmm. having the confidence to say actually that doesn't work for me yeah. much as I've liked doing it enormous as radio two is you know, you think, my God, you give your, you know, give your right arm to present a program on Radio 2. Yes, I, yes, I might have thought that once, but I'm not giving up my life for it. Yeah. And they, those are the things that you sort of move, you shift to a different position. So that didn't happen straight away after 2012. That happened more, gosh, when did I start doing, uh, I probably stopped two, two years ago, probably stopped doing and so I think that's the next phase of it you go through okay I'm, I'm here I'm me I'm doing the thing I love I hope I'm doing it well I will continue to strive to do it well to gosh there are lots of bright shiny things I could try 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 and then okay what do I what do I actually believe in what matters to me no to that no to that this is where I am yeah. and it, it's made um I don't know whether it's made lockdown actually easier to cope with in that I'm really content in, in what I'm working on and I'm giving it 100% commitment. Yeah. And, and, you know, going, going back to the kind of need to please, I, I always think it's a really interesting 
shift and application of that need to please when you think, okay, if I'm the best version of me doing the stuff that I want to do, I will give people the opportunity to be pleased by the right version of me rather than me being some kind of chameleon to try and meet the perceived needs that, that I think they want from me as well. So it's, it's, it's really harnessing that need to please please yourself first to really sort of, you know, make people proud of the stuff that you want them to be proud of. Yeah. And, and exactly. And by, and, and to do that by doing things you're proud of. So my, my list of sort of questions now, if I get offered something, uh, is it interesting? Am I going to be stimulated by this? Am I going to learn something? Is it going to be fun? Will I enjoy it? Um, and then third, how much time is it going to take? And does it, how will it impact on my life? by doing that. And actually, generally speaking, if it's fun and it's interesting and exciting, the time spent on it will enhance my life, not, not, not take away from it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes absolute sense. And I think it did, did, did that feel like you were getting good at that in the lead up to 2012 and being able to prioritize Was there a trend in that direction and 2012 happened to be the catalyst to really kind of giving you that extra confidence to have such you know, precision in your decision-making or a more self-focused approach to it? Was, was it changing anyway? Um, no, weirdly, what happened after 2012 was suddenly, it was like I'd been, um, you know, like I'd dropped in from Mars and suddenly right. everybody realised I could present programmes. <laughs> so I got offered a lot and I turned down a lot. But what I did take was quite high profile and some of it worked and some of it didn't. But it was interesting and different and 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 fun and and i think what i got hurt by in a way um was people saying she's doing everything you're on everything now and they still say no i said no i've never had a daily program actually i had a weekly program on the radio for a while but you know i'm not i'm not jeremy vine doing two shows a day and eggheads you know (laughs) there is a whole different scale of people who do loads more than me but i think because i did lots of different things because I could do the Queen's pageant and then I could flip and do, you know, crafts and then I could do the Olympics and then, you know, or Wimbledon. That you, you in a way, you get a bit, because um, you're not doing the same thing every day, which people almost just regard as one thing. I was doing different things every day. Yeah. Five yeah. Days a week. And, and, it, and it, it feels like, from what you're saying as well, that that, that shift towards being curious about how far you can stretch yourself as well as kind of, you know, there's more safety in terms of, you know, I wonder actually that's, that's, you know, that's a possibility rather than, you know, perhaps keeping things contained. There's, there's been more of a curiosity to sort of wonder and sort of, you know, explore a little bit more. Yeah. And, and I think also, you know, having the, the benefit now of being able to say, uh, you, you know, I, I'm lucky in the sense that I, I've, I've been, I've done enough interesting things and I, because of writing books as mm-hmm. well, that I've done extremely well, I don't have to make decisions anymore based on just the finances. So that makes a big difference in your head of, of saying, and, and quite often I'll say, please don't tell me what they're offering me because I don't want to do it. Right. So that it doesn't influence me. So it's not, you know, so I'm not thinking, oh my God, that was, you know, that was a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and a really interesting, again, just sort of, you know, just the, the, the difference between the meaning to you rather than perhaps, you know, some external value. 
Um, and the storytelling bit you mentioned as well fit, really seems to fit together. Telling the story's yeah. personal meaning, that, that feels like it's a very strong thread as well. But it's, you know, God, I'm no, I'm no saint. I haven't always, you know, let my morals speak. I mean, when you've, got, when you've got financial pressure and you've got a mortgage to pay and you're worried about how you're going to make, you, you know, ends meet, mm-hmm. you will do things like write an article for a, for a, a magazine that, that you are not sure that actually you believe in what you've written or, and plenty of people do that. And that's really frustrating. And I read them sometimes and I just think, you don't believe this. Uh, you just don't believe this. You are writing this. And it happens on social media. I look at it and think you are writing this to stoke up a reaction. <laughs> and people do it as a sort of, you know, they are the professional pantomime villain. And it's quite a successful, you know, character to be, but it's not one that I want to be. Yeah, which goes back to that authenticity again, I guess, as well, and kind of really feeling, feeling comfortable. You obviously reflect a lot did, did, has, have you got better at reflecting in order that it helps shape your next move better? Um, I'm good at it if I'm asked to do it. Right, okay. And, and therefore, you know, you've made me. <laughs> um, but gen- generally, I'm actually, I don't sort of sit there looking back at things. I will sometimes, I think it does inform my decision making. And certainly in terms of the experience of having done the programs I've done and seen the things I've seen go right and wrong, informs my performance for sure i can predict when things might happen that will you know that that could be avoided and and say and i'll say so to an editor or director just by the way this might happen so so look out for it and let's try and avoid it this time um they don't always like that being pointed out to them but um it's i i tend not to i tend actually to, to, to look forward too much. And, and actually what I'm practicing, and, and I think what's helping me during this period is just being in the now. In the now. Knowing that I've got a routine to my day and, 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 I've, and I'm really enjoying it and I'm really enjoying today so far. Um, and I've done things and I've got things more to do this afternoon and, um, and the sun is shining and it's lovely and Archie's not bothering us by barking. So it's all good. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's... Again, you know, you talking about the drive driving you previously and then sort of that you're looking to the future a long way. You know, for the, for the athletes as well, there's, there's the thing of outcome hijack. If their head's at the finish line all the time and they're sort of wondering, am I going to get the result that I want? It's really difficult to be present to sort of give the focus to the art of performance that's required to get themselves where they want to. And again, you know, recognising that challenge internally to kind of, need the drive but then focus it again that you know that that's a real growth process as well i think as well we we can all be you know busy fools i think i think we can all feel that we're doing stuff we're doing stuff we're doing stuff and therefore and therefore we're busy is it is it productive is it actually contributing to what you want to be at the end of the you know the end of that day um or are you just rushing around doing things for the sake of doing them um and and that's you you know I, I'm not the best at I'm not the best at doing nothing. I'm really not. Okay. Um, so I I like to do something, but that something could be gardening. It actually could be hoovering, which I'm very good at. <laughs> <laughs> um, it could be exercise. It could be walking. Um, so that's that's it's getting better at that as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, 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 I, and I think as well that part of that is, again, the curiosity to wonder how much better can I get rather than a demand to be brilliant at it sort of straight away, particularly if you know it's yes. not a preference. Yes, yeah. and, you, and leaving yourself scope for being able to improve. You, you, you know, you're not, in, certainly in live television, and I suspect the same with sport, you're never going to give the perfect performance. Hmm. No programme I've ever done has been perfect. Not, not if it's live, it can't be. Um, there'll be slight glitches somewhere. There'll be, you'll have asked a stupid question somewhere. You've gone to something, it's not there. You've given an incorrect fact. Um, you've, you've just slightly wished you'd done something differently. You know, that happens a lot. Yeah. Um, so you learn to live with the imperfection and, and that makes, and then strive for it again. Of course you are, you're always, you know, you're always searching for the Holy Grail. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it's always a, a worthwhile reminder that perfect is a noun, not a verb. Sorry, it's a, a perfect as, an, as a verb, not a noun. It's to perfect. Really interesting when you kind of start talking to people about, well, actually, you know, the, the process of perfecting something is absolutely what you're looking at. But if you're demanding something to be perfect, that, that, that doesn't actually exist other than as a kind of a grammatical reference. So it's, it's really interesting, the whole perfectionism as well, which we could dive off into. But I, I, I wanted to ask you something else. Just sort of looking back sort of you know 2012 as you picked out that period do you look back with a different view as well in terms of some characteristic for you that you're really proud of that were present then as well and sort of that you've been able to kind of you know build upon and sort of you're, you're thankful that they they were present and really clear then as well yeah I something i tell you i i know i've i've continued to do that Olympics of 2012 was the first really really the first twitter olympics right, right okay yeah and i because a lot was going on and I had a lot of, I had a lot of information I needed to be doing homework on and had notes all over the place. And I was really involved in all of the races and trying to make sure that people wanted to watch, even if there wasn't a British swimmer in the final, which quite often there wasn't. Um, I made the decision then to engage in social media in the sense of putting up photos and, and giving people a little view behind the scenes and all of that and having fun, but not to look at, the mentions and also not to look at any newspaper coverage that was about the TV coverage because I knew it was going to be a big story you, you know it's it all the foreign press were here as well you're broadcasting not just to your own audience but mm -hmm. also to you know the leading American broadcasters you want to be good you want to show them that we do it differently but hopefully it's it's fun and I didn't I, I remember on the final Sunday I was doing some prep for the um, modern pentathlon and I opened the Sunday Times and I happened to see an article but I didn't read it that was about medals for presentation mm -hmm. and I had I got a very good mention so I texted my mother to say and my mother's not interested in newspaper coverage of me right. I promise you I mean literally couldn't <laughs> <laughs> couldn't have less interest but I knew that if I asked her to she'd go and get the paper and she would save it for me so I just said look can you get hold of the Sunday Times for me and will you hang on to it and she texted back she said don't read it I said no don't worry I haven't <laughs> right. and she said but I've kept all the others as well and I was like what others I had no idea and then I went on Chris Evans was doing a show um, must have been doing his radio show from there. And he suddenly said to me, you're getting all the plaudits. And I said, am I? He said, you must know. And I said, no, I genuinely didn't know. And I realized then what a fantastic position to be in because whether it's really good as it was then or whether it's really bad, you don't need to know. No. It doesn't affect, it's not gonna impact my performance in a good way. 
And so after that, I've never looked at Twitter mentions. Whenever I'm doing a high profile program of a big audience, you know, whether it's Wimbledon or Olympics, whatever it is, I just don't look at that because I don't need, you know, I don't need the affirmation and I don't need the criticism. I, I will talk to people, you know, Alice will tell me if there's something that's, that I can correct, that I've done wrong, that needs to be corrected, she'll tell me. Hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't look to it to somehow give me, I don't know what the word is, but you, you'd know. Yeah, 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 ab absolutely. And, and, I th and I think, again, that's probably reflective of you knowing your own standards and wanting to judge yourself by what you see as the benchmark rather than, you know, assuming that other people might have a benchmark that takes into account the same stuff that you do. And, you know, that's, that's part of the difficulty here for the athletes as well as, you know, people in the public eye your version of brilliance is the one that is worth paying attention to because of the, the you know, the, the, the understanding you have. But it's also, so I've, seen, I've seen how distracting and destructive it can be. I've seen people change mid-program because they've read something yeah. on Twitter. And, and, and I thought, why would you let yourself do that? And, I, I, you, you know, I've seen, it, I've seen it with athletes as well. Mm. And um, it's a real... It's something that almost we're going to have to learn to train people for how to cope with it. Yeah, and yeah. I, you know, my, my attitude might not be the greatest one. It might not be the answer, but it works for me. Yeah. And I believe, again, it's about taking control of it. And actually, I get a weird sense of um, satisfaction from having the power to resist. Mm. I quite like it. Yeah. People go, you must have looked. I said, no, I haven't. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, and and from from the you know Sydney uh, Olympics, yeah, one of one of the recommendations for the athletes that that, that I've had the privilege of work supporting it was you know you go and exploit the Olympics, don't let it exploit you. What do you want to find out about yourself? What do you want to test out? Because there's a bunch of stuff there that could happen that might seem different that could get you changing your mind, having done you know a lifetime of work to go and find out you know what it can do for you. Don't let it change you know the picture. Um, so it's getting that position of strength from, from the very outset. Um, it's brilliant, Claire. I'm very mindful of time. I'm, I'm just wondering, has, has thinking about today, talking through this, what, what, what does this do for you? Is there anything that sort of is sort of interesting as you reflect upon the reflection? Um, it makes me want to hear what others have to say. And, okay. um, and I am actually tell you, Kat Bishop, who rode with Catherine Granger, yeah. who you'll have known, has just written a really, really interesting book about what is success. Mm -hmm. How do we define it? Do we need to look at it differently? And I find all of that fascinating because people have a different life experience to, to me, obviously, and, and everyone has a different life experience. And I think learning from other people is a really, is a really useful thing to do. And therefore, in that sense, in me being honest about my approach maybe that you know gives other people a chance to go well that's interesting maybe i could try some of that or indeed it helps me to listen to others to say well, i could try you, you know i can just tweak that a bit um, but i do think it is whatever your you know whether you're a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer or a presenter or an athlete or anything it doesn't matter what your job is being confident in yourself and being happy with yourself and and is is crucial and and i think i that's that's the one thing i've really enjoyed um being proud to be happy i am proud to be happy i am proud to have a fantastic relationship and a you know great job and very 
um, you know, f fantastic friends. And, and that, that and equally, I'm happy to be proud of you, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to be, um, to talk honestly about m my relationship, about my work, um, about who I, who I really am. And I think that's, that's, that's different. I'm not sure I was always like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, I've seen a draft of Cass book as well, and it will be very worthwhile reading when it comes out. Definitely. Um, but you did, you just remind me there about the, you know, the difference that trying to play without fear is very different from actually playing with freedom. You know, you, so that the, the playing with freedom is, is the thing that you're looking for. Cause if you're trying to play without fear, you know, that that's, that's, you know, you're trying to stop something happening rather than stepping yeah. into something. And that, and that's, you know, that, that sums up for me beautifully what you, what you were talking about. Um, so we'll come to the end and, and I'm, I'm delighted that it's helped the confidence and to, to, and the, you know, the, the ability for you to sort of enjoy the happiness that's been created and carry on creating and telling us brilliant stories. Um, as we've got into podcast relay, time for your handover. Um, so I'm fascinated to find out who you're handing over to and why and what you're maybe curious about finding out from the next person. Okay. Um, I, I've picked a, an athlete who I greatly admire for her sporting skill, but I think I might admire her even more for the conservation work that, that she has done and that okay. she's thrown herself into. Um, and it's Krista Cullen, who was part of the hockey gold medal winning team in, in Rio, but her story's really interesting because she had retired yeah. and then was coaxed back in. And as the sort of senior member slightly brought in and obviously someone else is going to lose their place because she comes in. How did she feel about that? And also her, her second life, her other life in Kenya. And I've been to Kenya with her and her family. I've seen her in that environment. It's where she is now. It's where you'll talk to her from. Mm -hmm. And I just think the life that she's lived is so different from most people um, within British sport that I think she'd have some really interesting things to say. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, that sounds fantastic. And kind of knowing that, obviously, Krista was part of the 2012 team and, you know, getting, getting you know, that sort of step in the right direction and then sort of, you know, that, that'll be fantastic listening to her. And um, uh, to Fauti, her organisation. Yeah, yeah the, so that's a nice link. So we're, we've, we've actually had an association with a cycling team that set up with him as well. So that is great. So uh, <laughs> that, that'll be interesting to sort of uh, make a bit of a connection there as well. So I will... Uh, Hope we can get the technology working from here to Kenya then, if that's where she is. So uh, hugely appreciate, appreciative of that baton handover. Superbly done. Um, and just lastly, thank you hugely for your openness and your brilliance. And uh, really look forward to seeing the books that are coming out. Look forward to sort of hearing everything that's uh, uh, coming next. And uh, you've got a virtual pub quiz as well, I think, as well. How's that going? I, yeah, I did that earlier this week for the, for the Charlie Waller Memorial Trust. And, and Charlie was a was a guy who just a little bit older than me um but i knew i knew his brothers actually and um he without any nobody really realized he was suffering from depression and he took his own life when he was 27 and his family set up a trust all around mental health and particularly focused on young you know, on young people and in trying to help people help themselves but also to recognize um when someone might be in a bit of trouble and to and they, they produce a whole load of free literature and online online counseling as well. Um, but it's it's just a very small, very focused charity. And so we did this big quiz um, on Tuesday night, which was interesting. Yeah, lots of people. I did a, I did a section on breeds of dog and they were all craft winners, actually, all the different breeds. 
And loads of people saying, that was way too difficult. I'm like, well, you must have got the Whippet and the <laughs> West Island Terrier. Come on. Yeah. Okay, the Papillon's a bit random, but... <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm, it's a shame I couldn't get my Brittany to come and visit during the course of this. Oh, week. I love a Brittany. So, yeah, uh, mad as a box of frogs, but uh, just delightful as well. But uh, Claire, thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of the afternoon. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the long uh, holiday weekend as well. And uh, uh, huge thanks to everyone. And uh, if you need anything in return, absolutely just just ask. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you, Chris. Thank you. Bye-bye.